This case demonstrates the not uncommon situation where systemic therapy is having a beneficial anti-tumor effect, but also causing problematic side effects. Bevacizumab is now FDA-approved for metastatic breast cancer, and while generally well-tolerated, can occasionally cause intolerable toxicity. The next patient presented by Dr. Schwartz to Dr. Weiner is a 63-year-old woman who presented in 2005 with locally advanced disease. This woman presented with a really a neglected 7-centimeter left-sided breast cancer with skin thickening and an eroded nipple. It had been at least five years from her prior mammogram. When she came to see me, it did not have the appearance of an inflammatory, rapidly growing tumor. This was obviously something that had been there for a while. A core biopsy was performed and demonstrated a poorly differentiated cancer, which was estrogen and progesterone receptor positive. Her two was two plus by her test, but negative by fish. At presentation, CT scan and bone scan with liver and bone metastasis. What was her life situation, and were able to put together why she kind of let this go in the breast? Yeah, um, hard to put together. She has a somewhat of an executive type position. Very intelligent woman. Works probably missing a day of work for her was probably something that was hard to accept. Married, husband came with her to the first visit expressed a great deal of guilt about letting this go. What was your take on kind of seeing her today, Eric, and thinking about that history? You know, she's someone today, and I think this is often the case, you know, who's seemed very attentive to all of her medical issues, very tuned in, in fact, to her body. And I think that to a surprising degree, that is sometimes the case in patients who have not sought initial medical therapy, but once they seek it, they tend to seek it and remain very much with the program, and my sense is very adherent. What did she say to you today that made you think that she was so attentive to her body? She was very attentive to how she's getting through this at the moment and when she's going to start treatment again, and just seemed very much focused on trying to get better and identifying the right treatment. So she presents with this luckily advanced lesion, but also bone and liver met. So what happened then? Right. Now, she was not symptomatic from the disease outside the breast, so I felt there was definitely an opportunity to treat her with hormones. She was started on exemestane, also given Zometa, and went eight months without progression. The breasts seemed to be regressing, but then after eight months on bone scan was found to have disease progression. And I've switched her to a second line hormonal treatment. I chose to use Fazlodex by a loading dose schedule. Also took that opportunity to think about and actually encourage the patient to have a mastectomy, partially maybe for potential benefit in terms of response, but more so in this case because I thought if we didn't do it then, we would lose the opportunity to do a toilet mastectomy and I'd have a big problem with her disease involving the breast and chest wall. But I mean, at that point, were you concerned that her local disease was going to get out of control or was she responding? She was responding, but not overwhelmingly responding. I mean, it was better than when she presented, but there was still, I didn't know if she was going to respond to the next line. And I really felt that I wanted to get rid of the primary tumor. What about the issue, Eric, of mastectomy in some way having an impact on the whole disease? Yeah. So this is a hot topic these days, and it arises as a result of 
a handful of papers that have suggested that women who present with metastatic disease and have a mastectomy or have a surgical procedure, sometimes not a mastectomy, that those women have an improved overall survival compared to women who don't have surgery. And in these studies that have been done, these are all retrospective studies, they have attempted to control for all of the relevant disease parameters. The problem is that they can't totally control. And I think the hypothesis evaluating this literature has to be that this is arising as a result of bias. That said, the finding has been consistent enough that it has led people to question whether there might be a role for breast surgery in the setting of metastatic disease, and there are planned trials to look at this. I'll tell you, my own view is that there are a number of women who, probably a limited number of women, who have metastatic disease and who probably do benefit from breast surgery. And those are probably the small proportion of women who have both very sensitive disease and very limited metastatic disease, where in fact there is some hope that there will be a cure even in the metastatic setting. So this lady has her mastectomy, and then what? And was continued on the Fasladex, which she did not respond to. And at that point, was entered on a clinical trial similar to a previous patient we discussed, and she was randomized to receive bevacizumab and weekly Taxol. Pretty standard schedule, 90 milligrams per meter squared, three out of four weeks, and the bevacizumab, 10 milligrams per kilogram every other week. And she tolerated, with tolerated in quotes, 15 cycles of treatment, 15 consecutive months with, I think, not missing a dose, had a fair degree of peripheral neuropathy, more that I felt was acceptable, but what she felt was worth it. But then after 15 months, the neuropathy was really limiting, and she was developing swelling of her extremities, which I was not sure whether it was related to the taxol or somehow related to the Avastin, again, without evidence of proteinuria, so I wasn't sure about that. And I restaged her. We did not see residual disease activity. Her CA-15-3 was within normal limits. And when I say that we didn't see residual activity, she had bone lesions that were not lighting up on PET. Her liver lesions were inactive. And I took her off study because of the neurotoxicity. So at that point, she was started on capecitabine three grams a day, two week on, one week off schedule. And I made a decision that Eric may not completely have agreed with, also over starting the bevacizumab. She received two cycles and called me on the last day of the second cycle saying she had diarrhea. And I told her, don't finish, you know, whatever you do, don't take the pills tomorrow. And, you know, I went through the Imodium, the Imodal, the Gatorade, and despite all that, was admitted via 911 emergency to a hospital close to her home about 10 days later with severe diarrhea, colitis, weight loss, was managed conservatively, and was discharged from the hospital after five days. And this was, today was the first time I had seen her since she had been discharged from that hospital, or since I had seen her in the office and had been hospitalized. And how's she doing? She's optimistic and ready to start treatment again, still having two to three loose bowel movements a day, a 
what I would consider probably grade two to three skin toxicity of her hands. What do her hands look like, Eric? Oh, they're, you know, somewhat Mm -hmm. recovering, but all, you know, the skin's all peeling off. In talking to her, did it seem that she had, you know, she sounds like somebody who really wants to take therapy. Do you think she pushed it out a little bit farther than she should have? Well, she may have, you know, but the other thing is, of course, the toxicity gets worse, you know, after you stop the drug. And it's hard to know. Maybe she had it for a couple of days, but, you know, she clearly got pretty sick with this. So what are you thinking in terms of once her hands and her bowel recover? Yeah, well, I told her she needs more time. I estimated at least two weeks to let this wash out. And then I was going to restart the capecitabine at a third dose from three grams to two grams a day. And what about this issue of the BEV? In this situation, I might have used capecitabine alone. I just haven't used capecitabine and bevacizumab together a great deal. But there are other people who do. And the other choice here would have been, although it's problematic in another way, would be to go back to the treatment that she was getting with paclitaxel and bevacizumab. The problem there is the neuropathy. And she's pretty quickly going to run into difficulty with more neuropathy. So the last thing I want to ask you is you two sort of like are the first patients in a phase one education study. You've been brave enough to do this. And I'm curious what your perspective is at the end of this day. Mike, you having an investigator come in and Mm -hmm. see patients with you, specifically patients with metastatic breast cancer in terms of, you know, sort of how it affected the way you see yourself in terms of taking care of patients like this. And you, Eric, what your perception is, you know, coming in, looking at Mike's practice and thinking about metastatic breast cancer sort of over his shoulder. Well, you know, for me, it was an incredibly helpful and useful experience. You know, even when you're being told what you're doing so far makes sense is just as helpful as, you know, I would have done this a little differently. And in most of the patients, we discuss what we would do next, you know, if this happens, which is really why the patients are there. And What I found extraordinary is how excited and willing the patients were to come for this. I mean, I made the phone calls and nobody turned me down and they said, tell me what time I'll be there. I said, well, you know, I know almost all of these patients work and many of them, this was not their regularly scheduled visit. Some of it was, but the fact that they had you know, an expert and someone with Dr. Weiner's reputation, they were extremely appreciative because they know that in the long run, it's in their best interest to get these opinions. How about you, Eric? What was it like for you? So we got a little love fest going on here. Yeah, is that right? (laughs) (laughs) So so I had a few thoughts. So one, you know, I think Mike does a great job. Interestingly, and I alluded to this in our conversation earlier, it sort of taught me that, you know, had I been a doctor who had gone into a community practice, I probably would have been pretty happy, although I've always known that. But... You know, this didn't seem like an unpleasant place to work and a way to spend time. And I realized that Mike saw fewer patients today than he would normally see. You know, they all clearly trust Mike a great deal and felt very comfortable in the care environment. I think every single person we saw today except one, and the one exception was the person who was doing well and just coming by from work. Everybody had a family member with them. I think sometimes doctors in other areas may get used to seeing patients by themselves. And I think when we see patients with advanced cancer, it's probably the norm that people are coming with family members. And I think it underscores how important both that is to them and the fact that, you know, when we take care of people, we're actually taking care of the patient and we're taking care of the family. 